Food, water, shelter, and nesting are all vital to attracting birds to your backyard. Multiple food sources are also helpful. Shop a wide variety of feeders, waterers, and bird food at Blaine's Farm and Fleet to keep your feathered friends happy and healthy all year long. The Zone. You bet she thinks your tractor's sexy. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Young. Well, absolutely I do. And there is plenty of tractor traffic out there as the harvest of 2021 continues. And I'll tell you, when you get a look at this forecast, I think that the old accelerator pedal is going to go down a little bit. How you doing, everybody? It's the fabulous Farm Babe Pam Yankee on a Thursday morning. So yesterday, the first day of autumn, and all of a sudden this morning, I've got some of my folks that are waking up with a minor frost advisory. Yep, National Weather Service says that Taylor, Clark, Jackson, Monroe, Juneau, and Adams County are waking up this morning with a minor frost advisory. Anytime there's frost in the forecast, especially this uh, time of September, makes you nervous. Today, once we get into the morning hours, we should see sunshine. 67 are expected high today, 46 the overnight low. For tomorrow, warming up a bit, 75 are expected high with about a 30% chance of an afternoon shower developing tomorrow afternoon. For Saturday, partly sunny skies, 67, and on Sunday, sunshine and 75. Honestly, next week does not look too bad. Monday for setup at World Dairy Expo, 77 are expected high. Tuesday next week, 76. Wednesday, 75, and we pretty much hang on to the 70s all through the big show event. We'll be talking weather with Stumach and Zach Bowers from EverAg down in Chicago, our special commodity guest this morning. Whether you compete on the court, at the track, on the field, or in the fields, winning isn't just a goal. It's a mindset shaped, honed, and defined throughout the season. That's why farmers pushing themselves to be the best plant DeKalb brand corn. Wherever you compete, winning has roots. Perform at your best with DeKalb. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Well, Wisconsin's had kind of some interesting weather here over the summer. A little bit of dry in certain places, a little bit of pretty good moisture in other places in central Wisconsin, for example. But our corn crop overall has been looking pretty good in Wisconsin. But Bob, you did a little more research into the corn crop and, you know, found out really what things are looking like now as we're getting closer to harvest. Absolutely. All summer long, Aaron, we've heard that uh, the crop looks good. Our Good to excellent rating has been way ahead of many parts in the country. Bob Bosel here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. But we've been hearing lately a few challenges out there. We talked to Joe Lauer, our University of Wisconsin state corn specialist, get an update on the crop. And he said, uh, it looks good, but there are challenges out there. Uh, the crop sure looks good. You know, when you do a 70 mile an hour um diagnosis out, out the windshield it sure looks good driving around the state and as you get into the crop um, there's a lot of kernels on those ears we've seen 16 to 18 rows around the around the ear and and 40 50 kernels along each row and that sets the things up for a real good number of kernels on each ear but one of the things that we're seeing is that the kernels seem to be relatively small so we'll see uh, how they're able to finish we've got maybe one or two weeks yet before we're at black layer and maturity. One of the things we're seeing is a lot of disease moving in. We're seeing anthracnose in the north, 
Uh, and then uh, basically the, a field with anthracnose problems has top dieback where it looks like it was frosted and the top two or three leaves are, are turning brown the rest of the plant is fairly green. We see a lot of that uh, going north. And then we're seeing tar spot in the southern part of the state, um, probably the southern two or three tiers of counties, and then up into Green Bay a little bit. And uh, those are the two main diseases we're seeing, but a lot of those are going to be coming in a little late. Uh, I don't know how much impact they're really going to have on yield. I'm just more concerned about um, what we're seeing with the effects of drought uh, late, late in the season um, and how how big those kernels are able to get. And is that a direct response to the drought, having those small kernels? Well, I think so. I think I think part of that is due to that. Um, more of the more of the fact that we really didn't get a lot of rain during during the month of August. The early season drought, I don't think, hurt us that much. It was more of the later season drought in at the end of July, beginning part of August, where um, we just didn't get a lot of water there, and, and the crop basically was running out to the point where growers are actually concerned about next year. Uh, we'll we'll be able to recharge, hopefully, be able to recharge the soil profile during the winter. But uh, it is fairly dry right now uh, this fall, drier than, than normal, uh, at least in the southern, southern part of the state. The north has had more rainfall than uh, the southern part of the state. For example, at Arlington, we're way behind, almost 12 inches behind where we typically are for rainfall at this time of the year. Let's talk about that tar spot because we are hearing it uh in up along western Wisconsin as well as southern and over by Green Bay as well. Something we haven't talked about a lot over the past few years. What exactly is it? What's the problem? Where did it come from? It's a disease that is always around, and it really only flared up, I'm thinking three or four years ago, uh, is when it flared up for the first time fairly dramatically uh, in the southern part of the state. It, at the time, I think, came in early enough that it caused, caused quite a few yield, quite a bit of yield loss during that year. It kind of went away for about uh, two or three years, and now this year again, it's kind of rearing its, its ugly head again. And, uh, but uh, the thing that's a little different this year compared to the outbreak we had three, four years ago is that it's coming in relatively late. I know in our plots, we're seeing a lot of it. It's very, hybrid specific, I think growers need to consider, you know, looking at tar spot resistance. But again, it's one of these diseases that seems to flare up uh, periodically rather than every year. But having said that, a lot of the plant pathologists around the country are moving this up in terms of uh, one of the diseases to kind of watch. We've always had a deal with gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and but this one now seems to come in and be problems every few years, and we'll see once how this develops over time here. What it causes it to rear its ugly head every few years? Is this soil borne? Is it uh, wind blown from Illinois, Iowa? What brings it in? A lot of it has to do with just the environment. You know, you need source of inoculum. You need to have the right environment, you know, environmental conditions to be there. You know, a lot of that has to do with just the the kind of environment that 
that these disease seemed to uh, really take off in. This year, of course, we did have quite a bit of a drought down in the southern part of the state that kind of characterized it. But you need a, you need a uh, you know a number of things. You need the you need the pest. You need a place for it to overwinter, and you need the right environment. And and the conditions were just right for that this year. I think the, the disease is, has been relatively little studied. As time goes on, you know, we'll get to know this disease a little bit more and be able to manage for it uh, better. One of the things that many growers are using are fungicides to help control this disease, and that might be something to consider down the road. The other thing, and the cheapest thing, is just pick a hybrid that that um, is resistant to uh, resistant to tar spot. How many varieties are there out there resistant to tar spot in the different day lengths that we need in Wisconsin? Well, Dr. Damon Smith um, did a did a survey of our hybrid trials when it first came out three, four years ago, and he found a number of hybrids that uh, were resistant. A lot of it has to do with the timing of when the crop is maturing uh, versus when the disease appears in the field. But there is that kind of information out where there is information on disease resistance uh, for hybrids. You, you just have to work with your seed companies that where you get your seed in trying to identify those hybrids that might be resistant. The other thing is, is just watch yield. If tar spot is really affecting yield, those hybrids are going to perform poorer and uh, won't be very high in, in terms of their performance uh, in the field, and they'll just kind of naturally go by the wayside. But there has been some public university evaluation of these hybrids done as well. Joe, as we look at the crop this year, again, it's been rated good to excellent, way up in the 70 percentile. But now as we get into harvest, get into those fields, start opening them up, reports we've also heard is that uh, in some areas, the uh, the roots aren't as deep-seeded as we had expected they might be, and they're moving back and kind of cannibalizing the stock. Are you hearing much of that? Yeah, that's uh, hearing a lot of that in the, in, the, in the central corn belt. There are some stock rot issues that are going on. Again, it's I'm, I'm thinking more of the southern half of the state here, not so much in the northern part of the state, because you had actually quite a bit more rain during that mini drought we had last spring during May and June. and But one of the characteristics of a high-yielding year is a drought, a mini drought, that occurs during the months of May and June, and we certainly had that. The one thing that was a little different this year was we had really high temperatures at the end of May as well in the 90s and things, and that really, I think, put some stress on out there. But what happens is, is that the plant grows roots very deep into the soil profile. That is typically a characteristic of a high-yielding year. What was different this year was that the drought went on and on, especially uh, in southern Wisconsin. And I think in a lot of these soils, we kind of ran out of water. Really what we're doing is harvesting water with our grain. And uh, we just didn't get a lot of, a lot of rain down here. As some of these uh, stresses start to occur, the plant does basically start to cannibalize itself a little bit. Now, the plots that I've been in have been pretty good. We haven't seen a lot of stock lots moving in, but in general, the plant pathologists around the country are very concerned, especially in the Corn Belt, uh, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, are very concerned about 
potential stock rot issues that might come along that um, could affect uh, yields and, and cause some lodging. Again, we're not seeing that in the plots that I've been in. We're, we've got about half of our plots around the state harvested for corn silage, and uh, we're seeing excellent standability right now uh, going on compared to some of the other years that we've had. A couple of years ago, we had terrible lodging issues going on uh, by this time of the year. So, again, standability is, going, is, is good at this point. Uh, remains to be seen uh, what kind of um, uh, standability and harvestability we'll have as we get into the grain harvest. It's been a good growing season, but never perfect. Joe Lauer, our state corn specialist, with us talking about some of the challenges is that uh, corn crop is in the last stages. I'm Bob Bosold. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Shopping for that special someone can be hard. You want to make sure that gift is perfect. Jewelry is always a great go-to because it lasts forever. Place to go? Goodman's Jewelers. They have the best prices, something for every budget. They have incredible quality jewelry, one-of-a-kind pieces, diamonds, engagement rings, traditional and modern styles, and you can customize your own. Something for a Badger Packer fan? Goodman's Jewelers has it. A true icon in Madison, the city's oldest full-service jewelry store, is your family. Goodman's Jewelers. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. What have we here? Crackers. At least I think they are. They're in a cellophane wrapper. There are two of them. Crackers always travel in pairs. They snap like crackers. Crumble like them, too. Nine out of ten cracker eaters would give them a positive ID. But these aren't crackers. They're dinner. Jim Krevix for five days straight. There are people like Jim all across Madison. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply people like Jim over $950,000 in food through Dane County's busiest food pantry. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in clothing, shelter, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent DePaul, helping our neighbors in need. Here we use a lot of F words. Food, fiber, and farming. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Jeepers, and this morning the F word we're using is frosty. Got a text this morning from our friend Stan. He is getting ready to try to hopefully wrap up the green bean harvest in Bancroft. And he's waking up to uh, 39 degrees, I think he said. Let me look again on my text message he sent me. Yeah. Uh, 39 degrees in, ba- in Bancroft, Black River Falls this morning, 33. Stumach, ag meteorologist along with us. Yee! That's, that's a wee bit chilly for the 23rd day of September. Yeah, and it's a one-hitter. Okay. Uh, we're going to be a whole lot different already by tonight and as we head to the weekend. So 
Yeah, hopefully we got through okay. I mean, there's a frost advisory till 8 for Adams, Juneau, Monroe, uh, Jackson, Clark, up the Taylor County and up into the north central part of the state. That frost advisory, be advised it may have some effect on on temperature-sensitive vegetation. But in the grand scheme, it's just that little quick hitter I've talked about. High pressure is just off to the south, keeping the skies clear. Then moon, that full moon right out there, near full moon, if you will. Making it pretty bright this morning as well. There's still some rain over in lower Michigan and a low pressure system as well. Off to our east, the Lake Michigan shore could see a sprinkly shower yet later today. For most of us, that's not even an effect to think about. I just expect some sunshine and pretty fair temps today. Although we do have the cool start, there's no doubt there. Some clouds roll in. A cool front will swing through out of the northwest and will Friday or Friday night lead to some scattered rain. Very scattered showers. There may be an isolated thunderstorm or two. I just don't expect a great deal of rain if we see it. You know, a couple of tenths of an inch if we see it. If we don't see it, well, we're just not going to have anything. That's about all this next little front's going to do. And even as it slips through, we only cool a few degrees for Saturday. And then the warmth returns and stays with us into next week. Up into the mid and upper 70s as we look at a good part of next week. I've seen some extended forecast guidance saying these warmer-than-normal temperatures will exist and stick around right into early October. On that great note, we'll take a break and have the forecast right after this. Farmers understand return on investment. They understand the power and the value of the sun. Cameron Olson, owner of Olson Solar Energy. This is just another opportunity for them to look for that power and that value. It's a business decision. Everything that farmers do and don't do on their land and their with their property is money. <laughs> so one of the things that I heard one farmer say, it's a crop that I am yielding. <laughs> uh, instead of harvesting corn on this little section, he's harvesting sunlight to make electricity. You should reach out to us and we will come out there for a very specialized, specific quote for you to look at your farm. We can put solar anywhere. We can put it on a barn. We can put it on the ground. We can put it on a hill. (laughs) So we can put it anywhere that makes sense to you and your farm and your situation. And then once we design that, even powering your whole farm, you can harvest enough sunlight to have a $0 energy bill. Go to OlsonSolarEnergy.com to start saving. Go green, save green with Olson Solar Energy. Geez, I'm I'm just looking at the Ryder Cup. Uh, they're over in Sheboygan County getting ready for that. I hope those boys brought long sleeve shirts. <laughs> yeah, no, and only for today. I mean, 70s are ready tomorrow. That's not hard to tolerate. But let's look for some sunshine today and pretty nice. A difference. Western Wisconsin, La Crosse, even parts in Toma and the Mauston area could find themselves up into the 70s already today. A lot of us mid or upper 60s with the north winds at 5 to 15. Clear skies overnight back into the upper 40s. The west winds at 5. It's Friday where partly sunny skies develop. A scattered shower could be an isolated thunderstorm. That chance lasts into Friday night. A tenth of an inch or so if we see rain. Still in the mid-70s for most of us in the east on Friday. A little cooler, maybe near 70 in the west. Southwest winds become northwest, 5 to 15. And then we dry it out. Mostly sunny Saturday, a lot of mid-60s. The west winds only about 5 to 15. And sunny in the 70s already. Low 70s for Sunday, Pam. Upper 70s as we look to next week. On the upside, uh, today Stephanie is going up to Wisconsin Rapids for a cranberry bog tour. And we all know these temperatures are exactly what the cranberry growers need for that vibrant red color we're looking for. So if yeah, I've, 
If I gotta put lipstick, has on, a way. yeah. If I gotta put lipstick on the pig, I might as well go that route. So <laughs> we'll see what shakes tomorrow. But boy, if I got another text message from Stan that says in the thirties in Bancroft, we gotta talk, buddy. Uh, he might be happier tomorrow. Okay. We'll see. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Stu. We'll catch up with yep. you tomorrow. See ya. All right, it's Tumak, our ag meteorologist, with the weather details you may or may not want to wake up to this morning. But again, hopefully this uh, is a one-off, as he said. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Landscape Envy, that's what you create when you add Kalani Wash decorative stone to your landscape. Choose from our selection of multicolored stones for around trees, shrubs, and under decks. Plus, we offer gravel stone for walkways, driveways, and a base for patio bricks and retaining walls. Visit KalaniTopsoil.com. Or you can simply pick it up at our awesome processing plant, Kalani Topsoil. Now that's good dirt. And good-looking decorative stone. Is your biggest fear of having dermal filler in the face looking overdone? You are not alone. A skincare Minute with skincare expert, Michelle Neeson. Dermal filler treatments at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie restore fullness and fill in wrinkles in areas of the face, such as the cheeks, under eyes, lips, and around the mouth. It's very difficult to look overdone with non-surgical dermal fillers due to the amount that's typically injected. Did you know that one syringe of filler equals one-fifth of a teaspoon? One fast food ketchup packet is equivalent to eight syringes. As long as your treatment is performed by a skilled medical professional, you should have the natural-looking results you desire. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit PeaceCorps.gov. Attorney John Rihala with Clifford and Rihala. When you ride a motorcycle, you can face serious risks from cars around you. It's a fact. Some car drivers don't watch for motorcycles, and they don't see you. Even if they do, some cars don't give bikes the space they need to drive safely. A collision between a motorcycle and a car can be devastating. If this happens to you, we can help. At Clifford and Rihala, we know that motorcycle riders can suffer life-changing injuries in a crash, and we can help you recover the compensation you deserve. If you or someone you care for has been in a motorcycle crash, call Clifford and Rihala for a free consultation. We'll fight to help you receive your maximum recovery. For relentless dedication to helping you and your family, choose Clifford and Rihala, hardworking, skilled attorneys fighting for you. For justice, myjustice.com. Jewelry is always the perfect gift for that special someone. You want to go to Goodman's Jewelers, where they have the experience and patience to work with you to find that perfect diamond. Pendant necklace, diamond earrings, engagement ring. It'll be a one of a kind and all yours at Goodman's Jewelers, a couple blocks from the Capitol on State Street. On August 25th, 2021, the Madison Police Department was contacted by a Wisconsin resident living outside of Dane County. The reporting party told MPD that they received a call from a 608 area code. The caller identified himself as a fundraiser working on behalf of MPD collecting money 
money for injured officers. When reporting the incident, the reporting party said they did not provide any money to the caller and that the caller hung up when the reporting party told them they were uncomfortable with the call. MPD is not involved in any telephone-based fundraising efforts and will not attempt to collect funds over the phone for any reason. MPD would like to remind residents to be extremely cautious if providing funds to anyone over the phone. Never provide funds in the form of gift cards and contact your local police department if you're suspicious of a call you have received. If you have any information regarding similar calls, please contact the Madison Police Department at 255-2345. If you wish to remain anonymous, please contact Madison Area Crime Stoppers at 266-6014 or on the web at p3tips.com. Individuals contacting Crime Stoppers can receive up to $1,000 in cash rewards for tips that lead to an arrest. This looks like a car. Has tires. Headlights, a hood. Windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors. Open like them, too. There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% of the time, this would be a car. But it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. There is something we need to talk about. Yep, hit me with it, Rowdy. Because I, know it's I on the was there on Saturday. Rowdy was, Rowdy was in attendance Saturday when the Brewers clinched for the fourth straight time for the postseason. Yep, they clinched the playoffs. It was pretty wild. It had like a playoff atmosphere. It wasn't like sold out packed, but it was decently packed. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we have our guy Rob Reichel at the game last night. By the way, happy birthday, Rob. Yeah, happy birthday, Robbie. We'll talk to him tomorrow if the phones work. He sent pictures to us. There was hardly anyone there. And it was this empty. Is, this is a Milwaukee Brewer team that's still looking to clinch the Central, playing one of their Central rivals in the Cardinals, who you can never count out of the fight because the Cardinals always seem to show up at the end of the season. Yep. And they're the hottest team in baseball. There was hardly anyone there. And I kind of go back to... Where's attendance? Have the fans kind of just rode off the rest of the season as in... Let's just get to the playoffs. Like we're ready for the playoffs. I know we've talked about this a little bit, and and some people have said, "Yeah, I'm kind of just waiting for the playoffs." Rowdy. I mean, they had a twelve and a half game lead at one point. Rowdy, they proclaimed there was thirty thousand four hundred and seventy five fans there. Not from the pictures that I saw. It looked like there was like ten thousand. I was gonna say if they normally sell out around forty eight thousand, I was I would say like twenty four thousand. It looked like it was about half full. Um. What's their capacity? 42,000, I think, actually? Yeah, but I, you can get more than that. Yeah, you can pack them I, in like sardines. I've been to games where there's 47,000, 48,000. Get them in like sardines. It was about half capacity from the pictures that I could see. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to, are the fans, I guess, letting their foot off the gas pedal because they're waiting for October baseball, they're waiting for playoff baseball, and is the team kind of doing the exact same thing with when they rested Willie Adamas or they're resting Tyrone Taylor or they took forever to bring back uh, Daniel Vogel back, or uh, even Avisel Garcia being sat down for a few days when he said he felt pretty good, or Lorenzo Cain after saying, yeah, I'm a little sore, but I can play, being sent down for a couple days. Are they being too conservative where it's like, well, if the team 
doesn't really see this as a must win and they're kind of just we're going to make sure everyone's 100% healthy. You keep, you're going to keep them comfortable. Yeah, we just need to make it to the postseason, and then we'll get started keep again. Keep them comfortable. Are the fans kind of doing the exact same thing? Well, it kind of looked like it last night, didn't it? And that's all while the Cardinals are the hottest team in baseball outside of the Dodgers. Cardinals have won 10 in a row after last night. The Brewers' magic number is at three. Rowdy, they could have wrapped up the NL Central against the Cardinals. Instead, we got to now what? Well, hey, they can still do it. Yeah. It so and we talked about this a little bit earlier this morning. Yes, if you take a snapshot for the Milwaukee Brewers and an entire season, they're playing really good baseball. You would say they're a quote unquote hot team. They're the fourth best team in baseball. If you take a snapshot from late May and the Willie Adamas trade, yes, they're a really hot team. They're one of the better teams in baseball since the Willie Adamas trade. Yeah. If you take a snapshot from August till now they're one of the better teams in baseball outside of like the Dodgers and Cardinals. They continue to win series. They continue to win a ton of games. But if you take a ton of, if you take a snapshot from the last week plus they're two and five. (laughs) So it's all about where you want to frame this at. Right. Uh And that goes with a lot of things in life. Rowdy. It's all about how you frame things, right? From the catcher so, yes. behind the plate to whoever else is doing their it. Their last seven games, they're two and five. They had a terrible series in Detroit. They then took two out of three against the Cubs and now have dropped the first two against the Cardinals. But if we look at this two days from now and we come back here on Friday and they win tonight and they win tomorrow afternoon, then we'll be okay. Do you really feel like they just fell off the face of the earth? No. Because they ended up splitting a series With against the hottest team in baseball. Exactly. One of the hottest teams in baseball, the team that is currently the wild card number two, and it's not a bad team. I feel like we'd feel a lot differently if they win these next two games, which are very possible. If you look at the pitching matchups on paper, the Brewers should have won game one and game two. Yep. Now they also should probably win game four. If you look at the pitching matchups, but now they have Brett Anderson on the mound tonight. And is uh, do we have a bet? Is Brett Anderson? I know they've been uh, pretty pretty conservative with injuries. Is Brett Anderson going to leave tonight's start with an injury? Whether well, it be a groin, a hamstring, a hip, fatigue, a, a cramp, butt, a buttocks, yes, uh, uh, Ben Kenny, yes, calf. How about this? What has a greater chance of happening? Brett Anderson does not leave with an injury, or Jalen Berger gets more than fifteen carries on Saturday. Rough hands, dirty boots, and farming roots. It's all we know. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Oh, yeah. If you missed it earlier, we've got a minor frost advisory out there this morning. Taylor, Clark, Jackson, Monroe, Juno, and Adams County. Uh, that is expected to be a factor until about 8 o'clock today. I'm Pam Yankee. Now, from the Alcivia Farm News Desk, here's what's happening on a Thursday. So, today, the 23rd day of September. On this day, in 1889, Nintendo was founded. That surprises me. I'm a kid that kind of saw Nintendo when Donkey Kong came out in 1981. That brought Nintendo to the forefront of the electronic and video gaming industry, and people are still playing Donkey Kong. But the company itself started with an entrepreneur based in Kyoto, and they sold playing cards when they started. It began with Nintendo back on this day, 1889. On this day in 1932, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was founded. 
Happy birthday today to Bruce Springsteen, born on this day in 1949. So there you go. A couple tidbits to get you started this morning. Well, we're going to get started early every day next week. World Dairy Expo is back. And it's not just farm broadcasters that are excited about this reunion. Think about all the collegiate people that are involved with World Dairy Expo from a competitive standpoint, as well as just helping as volunteers. Our own Stephanie Hoff caught up with one of those collegiate members excited to get back to World Dairy Expo and also trying to find her way through an education in light of the pandemic. The extended COVID-19 pandemic impacts the egg industry, especially at the student level. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report, here with Taylor Schaefer, a senior at UW-Madison studying animal sciences and agriculture communications. And Taylor, not only is your education preparing you for a career in agriculture, but you're also involved in a lot of student organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So um, over the last four years, I've been involved in the Association of Women in Agriculture, Saddle and Sirloin, and Badger Dairy Club on campus. And what I love about these organizations is that they also put on really cool events for the community. It's, it's not just for the students. Unfortunately, some of that stuff had to be put off or canceled. Yeah, so last spring we actually had a really unique opportunity to offer a virtual breakfast on the farm, and that's one thing that... Um, um, granted, COVID is still existing on campus in the spring. That's something that we're looking into for the spring semester. Um, we're hoping to bring it back to campus, but um, if need be, that was a really good opportunity for us to reach people in the Madison area and beyond. Um, so we had educational opportunities. We also had Wisconsin-made products like cranberries and honey that um, people really loved, and it was really well-received. But unfortunately, we do have some events like Badger Kickoff, which I know we talked about earlier um, then we did have to cancel just because we have a lack of students on campus that are involved in our organizations this year. Let's talk about that lack of students. Is it because less students enrolled at UW-Madison or is just interest in agriculture going down on campus? Have you guys been able to kind of source the reason why you're seeing less involvement? We haven't really been able to source it to one different thing, but um, I think it had had a lot to do with a lack of engagement last year just because a lot of people were not on campus. So they have a farm at home and they have an opportunity to be virtual, so they stay at home and work on the farm. And that decreased our members across pretty much every student organization I'm in. And especially for Saddle and Sirling with Badger Kickoff, we unfortunately only have a few members this year. So I think it's going to be an opportunity for us to not only build our club back to exactly what we want it to be, but also an opportunity for us to start fresh as well. Another thing that is unfortunate when you do have to cancel an event like this or even pivot to a virtual event, the money, losing some of that money to support your organization. I mean, how? what's the impact of, of that? I know for Saddle and Sirloin, Badger Kickoff was an event for us to make money, but it was also an event for us to reach the public. And that was pretty much why we continued to do it. It was a lot of work, but um, just like World Dairy Expo with BDC, that's just something that we do to help community members out and to volunteer. And um, shows are what drive a lot of these agricultural kids and their passions. And it's not necessarily all about the money. So I think that this year we're going to be looking into a lot of different fundraising opportunities for the club, but that's not something that we're mostly focused on, I guess. I'm glad you mentioned volunteering. A lot of organizations on campus depend on student volunteers. Have you just, have you seen just a a scream for student volunteers? 
Yeah, absolutely. And even student workers, too. I have worked in many different areas, and this year I'm kind of working with the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences, but also with um, the new Meat Science and Animal Biologics building. And you can definitely see that there is a need for student volunteers and student workers across campus. Change is kind of the, the word we've all been hearing for the past year and a half. And the, your organizations have had to pivot and change. How about your classes? For the most part, I am in person for all of my classes. I do have two of them that are virtual, but one of them is just a capstone one credit class. So um, I think it was virtual before the pandemic hit, but um, classes are pretty much normal for the most part. We have to wear masks inside campus buildings, but other than that, class sizes are generally the same and professors are happy to be back in class and so are students as well. Do you see some of this stuff continuing even post-pandemic when we're finally beyond this, the pivot to maybe virtual events or having kind of hybrid models of classes? I think for student orgs especially, we've kind of been using a hybrid model just because there's not so many people on campus. There's still some people that are at home and there's also still some people that aren't comfortable meeting in person. And like for AWA specifically, we're not meeting at the AWA house. So we are meeting at um, Union South just because it's a bigger room. So it's more room for us to space out. Um, but also it gives an opportunity for us to be virtual. So if our advisor is not able to be there with us in person, she can meet with us on Zoom. And if we have some members that also aren't comfortable coming, we can also have them there as well. Changing locations or having kind of a virtual element might be to your advantage in recruiting students. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we talked a lot about as an officer team last year. And we thought of it as an opportunity to reach people all over the world. So we have guest speakers at every single one of our AWA meetings and Last semester, we were able to meet with, um, I don't know if you know Cranberry Chats, but she's from way up north. And we also had some people from like the Mineral Point area. So kind of just all over the state who otherwise wouldn't have been able to meet with us in Madison. And just hearing from those different people and their different perspectives was a really great opportunity for our organization. Taylor, anything upcoming that uh, we should watch out for from UW-Madison students, specifically in your clubs? You should definitely look out for us at World Dairy Expo if you're a prospective student. Also, make sure you walk through the trade show. The Animal and Dairy Sciences Department will be there every day. I'll be there every day. Um, so if you're interested in going to school at UW, learning more about different student orgs, feel free to stop by and find us there. We still will be selling grilled cheese and milk and all the different things that people come to love every single year. Um, so that's something to definitely look forward to. And um, you can pretty much find students all over World Dairy Expo in pretty much every aspect. Before I let you go, one more question. What was it like for students that are so involved uh, come Expo season to not have had it last year? It was definitely a little disappointing, but um, it also just kind of built up the, I guess, excitement for this year because we haven't been back to the Align Energy Center in over a year. It's been almost two years since we've been back there. So I think that everyone is just really excited to get back into the swing of things. I know our chair team has been working really hard on putting the event together. We just got our schedules yesterday, so everyone's kind of figuring out when they're going to be working during Expo. And I can tell you that even our new members, so freshmen and sophomores, they are very, very excited to get involved. Thank you, Taylor Shaver, for joining us. Again, a senior at UW-Madison in the Animal Sciences and Life Sciences Communication Program. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff. Thanks, Stephanie. And again, like I said, a lot of those college members of our agriculture community are going to be busy next week during World Dairy Expo. Cows are already moving into their place in the pavilions. Well, uh, let's congratulate one of our very special folks that doesn't get nearly the recognition they should. Found out yesterday that Frank Fryer, who many of you may have remembered with his time at Badgerland Financial, 
now working as a financial consultant and farm transition specialist with the Wisconsin Department of Agriculture's Farm Center. He has received the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture's 2021 James A. Graham Award. That is all about his outstanding service to agriculture producers in the state. And all I can say is, hear, hear. Job well done, Frank. He just does, he's the Energizer Bunny. They've told me that they suggested, you know, Frank might want to think about retiring permanently, but you just can't keep a good man down. Frank Fryer picking up that national recognition from the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Well-deserved. We're talking markets with Zach Bauer from EverAg in just a moment. So far this morning, as far as markets are concerned, we're mixed. We've got December corn currently trading down a penny and a quarter at 524 and a quarter. November soybeans are up a nickel at 1287 and three quarters. December wheat still five and a quarter higher at 711. July new crop wheat's up four and a half, 708 and a half. Barrel cheese yesterday dropped two cents at 158. 40 pound block cheese also down two and a half yesterday at 172 and a half. Double A butter likewise dropped two and three quarters cents on Wednesday to 172 and a quarter. What is happening with our dairy complex? A lot of conversation this week about uh, changing the federal milk order pricing situation. That could impact Wisconsin dairy producers. We'll see what Zach Bowers wants to talk about. He's our next guest from Everag. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Monona Plumbing and Fire Protection. Summer savings are yours at Monona Plumbing and Fire Protection. Replace your water heater and softener in the same visit and get a $100 discount. We've got you covered 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for all your commercial and residential plumbing services. From installation, repairs, and maintenance to complete sewer and drain cleaning. Visit MononaPFP.com. Monona Plumbing and Fire Protection. A name you can trust when service is a must. You're well aware of these gigantic mortgage companies that make it seem as though they can do everything for you rather quickly, when in fact, you end up in a call center where everything is cumbersome and expensive. Learn about our local process at educatedmortgage.com. Educated Mortgage, the smartest way home. Call Dan, the mortgage man. NMLS number 222652. You rarely think about it, and it often goes unnoticed until your basement or building floods. A reliable sump pump can be a lifesaver, preventing flooding by detecting water levels and pumping the water back outside, away from your home or business. If your sump pump isn't functioning, contact your friends at Benjamin Plumbing. They can replace your existing sump pump, floats, and check valves. They'll even upgrade your current system to include a battery backup system. The battery makes sure your system continues to work in the event of a power outage. Away from home? Receive pump activation alerts on your smart device. Enjoy peace of mind and improve the value of your property with an upgraded sump pump from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses, I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Spreading farm information and occasionally manure. 
This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Yonke. All righty, let's jump right to it. Joining us live this morning, Zach Bowers. He's an agent and broker with Everag down in Chicago, focused in on all things dairy. And I want to jump right away to the latest milk production figures that we got uh, for the 24 major dairy-producing states, uh, Zach. Obviously, we super focus on Wisconsin, which saw a pretty good jump again in August milk. Uh, it, we weren't alone. Basically, the entire dairy production group saw a bounce up. Was that expected? Do we think it was going to be bigger numbers? What did you see? Yeah, good morning, Pam. Uh, you know, that biggest, newest report story out there right now is milk production again, right? Uh, came in at for August at 1.1% higher year over year. So still growing on that milk production number, but, you know, a little bit slower than expected on the overall number, really, uh, which overall is good for prices. Uh, you know, I usually kind of figured the 2% number is kind of your average, you know, doesn't really mean much for prices. Anything above it's bad. Anything below it is good. Uh, we came in at 1.1%. Wisconsin, you know, they came in at 2.6%, so a little bit on the higher end of the range, but it, it's showing some slowing uh, slowing down there, um, and even in cow numbers as well, too. You know, the, the big story out there is really the cow numbers. So third month in a row now, we've actually dropped uh, in cow numbers. So uh, three months ago, we dropped about 5,000 head. A month ago, 5,000 head, and this month we jumped up to about 20,000 head. So uh, we're seeing cow numbers out there across the country, especially in states like New Mexico, uh, Texas, some of those southwest states that have been really hit hard by not only prices, but some of the water issues that have been hitting the West Coast as well, too, right? So you've got that in the mix that's losing cow numbers, and then you had a very hot August across the the U.S., um, which really dropped the milk per cow number to a surprisingly low number of uh, about 1,987 pounds on average. So that's a big story going forward. I think it's as we continue to see, you know, how the U.S. holds up on milk production and really where that, that cow number uh, continues to go. Because, you know, if you look at year over year, we still have about 100,000 more cows than we did a year ago. Um, and if we're going to really see a, uh, a movement on the needle of that milk production number, we're going to need to continue to see that number of cows uh, continue to be dropping. Zach Powers along with us from Everag down in Chicago. So those cows were still producing a lot of milk. Where is that milk going? What was the cold storage report telling you, Zach? Yep, exactly. So follow that up by cold storage report yesterday, um, which you know was actually kind of friendly. But at the end of the day, most of that milk is going into Class Three cheese states, uh, like Wisconsin is. You know, we saw we saw a decent drawdown in cheese inventories uh, to about 1.429 million pounds. Um, so a little bit lower than expected. Pretty decent drawdown. Now most of that drawdown came out of other types of cheeses, not the American type of cheese, which is what the Class Three price is priced off of. Uh, but the good news there is, you know, if if you're getting a pull in demand from other types of cheeses, which is going to be your mozzarella stuff, your pizza, your pizza cheese, uh, they're going to have to make start making that to refill those inventories, which is going to pull start a pull on that American type cheeses, which is going to hopefully create a little bit of a shortage there, tighten up prices. Uh, but the big number there was uh, butter stocks. Those dropped uh, by about 30 million pounds, which is counter-seasonal. Usually we drop about 19 million pounds uh, when we go from July to August. So that that's pretty much in line with what we're seeing with, you know, 
cow numbers and milk production dropping in New Mexico, uh, California, Washington, some big class four butter, nonfat powder states. We're seeing, we're seeing that product come down as we're seeing the milk production come down, which overall uh, could tighten up that class four market, raise prices there. And as soon as those prices go up, they're going to put the milk where the money's at, right? So uh, you're going to see more milk flow into class four plants, pulling from those cheese plants, uh, which can potentially then uh, bump up those prices there on the cheese side of things, which is which is good for your Wisconsin dairymen. Right. Let, what about consumption? Have you seen anything, Zach? I know that you know the kids are back in school now, so we think about fluid milk perhaps. But uh, is the restaurant industry, fast food, telling us anything about consumption we should pay attention to? Yeah, so um, on the consumption side of things, definitely hearing that, you know, schools have, have put a draw on, on a lot of the demand with pulling for fluid milk again, which is great to hear, as we haven't seen that in a while. Um, and then, you know, you, you bump over to the retail side, your grocery side, you're still running about double-digit growth in demand over 2019 numbers, uh, down quite a bit from 2021, but that's expected as that was your only place to get food. Uh, but now, uh, bumping over to the uh, restaurant industry, you know, you're almost back to 2019 levels there, uh, which is really good to see. So you're seeing very strong retail demand uh, out of the grocery stores, and you're seeing restaurants really coming back to life uh, and, and almost getting us back to those numbers we saw in 2019. Uh, we continue on that pace, and, and you're going to see some pretty strong domestic demand, uh, which, which is really good to see with where that milk production number is running. And, and really, if you flip over to uh, international demand, uh, Chinese import numbers have been off the charts. Um, it's been really, really good to see that they've been buying you know, 150% more uh, whole milk powder than they were last year, 50% more cheese, uh, 12% more whey, you know, so, some really big numbers coming out of China for, for imports. Not, that's not all coming from us, but we have been able to supply a decent chunk of that as, you know, Europe's been struggling with their milk production and New Zealand has as well too. Uh, and then, you know, you throw on top of that logistics issues, uh, which makes it a little bit of a nightmare right now is, you know, trying to find a container, trying to find a ship to get it there. Uh, but if you can do it, China's ready to buy it, Excellent. Uh, which, which is good to see. Before I let you go, you're going to be at World Dairy Expo next week? I know some of the Everag crew are. Yep, we will be there. Uh, we'll have a booth there oh. for the whole week. Uh, I think I'll be floating around a couple of days there as well, too. Oh, so, excellent. yeah, good. please stop on by and, uh, and chat us up. All right, my boy. Excellent. That's good to hear. Zach Bowers, he is one of the Everag staff down in Chicago, one of their broker analysts that's along with us, giving you real-time information on what's happening with the dairy industry and how it influences you. Like he said, check him out face-to-face next week during World Dairy Expo.